0: Yes. I think the brindu this evening is in order. What do you think, darling? Well, what do you think I I would like? Of course, the Sunday roast. I know it's Tuesday. But they're the brindu. That's why they're the brindu. They'll accommodate a Sunday roast on a Tuesday evening. And for you, the pasta? Hmm. How's Bubbles? She is. Oh yes. She loves her high places. And her cozy places. Yesterday she squeezed herself into the cardboard tomato box on the table. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Well, the Brindu it is. I'll see you later. My sound man, the somewhat daft, I believe, Nigel, is here. He's going to read another poem. Yes. It is quite good, actually. All right, darling. Love and kisses. Greetings, Nigel. Hello, sir. You ready to read your poem? Yes, sir. If you could get the door, let Mr. Ross in, please. Yes, sir. Good morning, Mr. Ross. Hey, Douglas. How are you? Hey, Nigel. Very well. Mr. Ross, if you don't mind... Since you're not going to be here next week, we've decided that, well, we haven't really decided whether I or Nigel will read your chapter next week. But in any case, we thought it would be wise to let Nigel read another of his poems so he can practice his presentation skills in the event that he does read next week's chapter. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Go for it, Nigel. Yes, sir. This is a poem by Nigel. It's called, When We Get Our Place in the Country. We'll get a couple dogs, maybe raise some hogs, take in some cats, hang a house for the bats, repaint the barn red, retool the old shed, wake the tractor dead in the country. Listen to the late night croaking of the bog-bound frog feed the fire one more log, wave that hickory wand at the stars and the moon, and dream to the tune of that haunting loon, in the country, bacon and eggs to break our fast, oh my honey, this can last, let's make our present become our past, in the country, apples and cherries from our trees, breathing in that healing breeze of the country, Yes, we escaped that urban craze and now we're free to laze getting lost in our green maze of the country. In the country, don't you know, we're going to sit back and take it slow and from our perch above the river the moon and stars will much deliver. Exactly what we need when we plant our seed in the country. Mmm. Very good, Nigel. Thank you, sir. Mr. Ross, any thoughts? A Nigel's Poem. Well, yeah, I liked it, as always. I do like Nigel's poetry. Um, I liked his pacing, the way that he sort of moved more quickly through the line breaks and more fluidly. And I guess my favorite line was, um, and dream to the tune of that haunting loon. I I like that a lot. Thank you, sir. Right. Moving on, format for today, going to briefly recap part one, Mr. Ross, if you will, and then you'll go on to read chapter 12, the first chapter of part two of *Hard Water*. part two entitled Alabaster Dreams. So, Mr. Ross, if you could please give us a brief recap of part one. Okay, I'm happy to, uh, Douglas. So part one, we're introduced to the notion of the good death, um, which grew out of the American spiritualist movement in this time period of history. And with that as the overlay of the book, um, we witness the death of Arthur's little sister, And she enjoys a good death because she's ushered into the next realm um, in a very civilized manner by family. And then we follow her up to heaven and meet the rest of the extended clan. And then we're looking at Arthur saying goodbye to his mother and saying hello to boot camp, to the uh, staff sergeant there. And then we have battle. And, of course, the one-eyed praying mantis representing the rapacious, clawing, terror-driven battle scenes. Yes, let's go back to the praying mantis for a second. Mr. Ross represents death. Yeah, and I did want to say that I'm a big fan of praying mantises. I was looking in your book, Al Crowder's Twelve Steps to Natural Gardening, and he talks a bit about... Praying mantises as a beneficial insect that eats up all the bad bugs. So I have nothing against praying mantises, but I just thought visually it would be a, a good representation of the terrors of battle. Mm. Well, I'll take that opportunity, Mr. Ross, to segue into our sponsor, Mr. Al Crowder, K-R-A-U-T-T-E-R, and. Just to let our listeners know, 12 Steps to Natural Gardening, the foundational beliefs of Mr. Crowder are that the chemical companies post-World War II were left with an excess of munitions chemicals, including potash, that they then developed into fertilizers, and these fertilizers were pumped through the land-grant colleges, Cornell University being one of them, where Mr. Crowder studied, and it was seen as the magic elixir. Suddenly, all the plants were growing at rates two or three times their normal rate, and bumper crops awaited the farmers of the United States of America. Well, what they didn't know is that they were also destroying the soil and making the plants weaker. It appeared that they were stronger, but in in essence, they were weaker and they were more vulnerable to insects. And so then what do the chemical companies have to do but to create more pesticides, to spray on the plants and spray on the soil, leaving the soil bereft of nutrients that would be there if they were farmed naturally, the organic way. So you see, this word beneficial, bene, meaning good, uh, comes into play with the soil. And the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, is that chemicals are killing our soils. And I don't want to spend too much more time on this soapbox, but just to say that what goes into the soil should be organic, not chemicals. Don't let the fertilizer companies hoodwink you, bamboozle you, as they have for many, many years. Yeah, so they they uh, suffer through battle and many, many horrible instances of having to deal with cauterizations and amputations, mass graves. And this, once again, explains why they desert. So they do uh, the three gentlemen desert, Harold Augustus Aintree, W.R. Goodall, and Arthur Eugene Seat. And they make their way first to a healer named Ma Pickett in West Virginia, and they take a nice big bath there. Mm let Let's speak a little bit about the bathing, Mr. Ross. Uh, a recurring theme, as I'm not going to spoil your next chapter, but this idea of ablution. Why so prevalent? Well, um, because these guys feel dirty they feel stained by the horror of war both physically and psychically and it goes as deep as their bones and their souls have been sullied by the guilt the uh, the uh, the violence visited upon them and they visiting violence upon others have, Left them very scarred. And so, this idea of ablution, of a cleansing, is very prevalent and will continue to be throughout the book. So, they ablute themselves at Ma Pickett's and then they move on uh, to Aintree's Farm where they witness his sons and wife. And that's the end of part one. Mm. Well, Mr. Oz, haylofts are another prevalent theme or vehicle for healing? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, it's a vehicle for um, secreting themselves from the public. And in some ways, you could say that the elevated nature of a hayloft is getting them closer to God. Mm. Well, Mr. Ross, that recaps part one, Blooms and Blessings. Now let's move on to Part Two whenever you're ready, mr Ross. Yam on! Thanks, Douglas. Part Two: Alabaster Dreams, Chapter Twelve w r Goodall and I set off through the woods back behind the big red barn as soon as mrs Aintree and her boys had completed the morning milking. An early frost But by nine, the sun was streaming and we were enjoying a mid-November Indian summer. We cut through a large tract of Douglas firs, humped up and over hills and across dead cornfields, crossed a pasture, and watched a young girl drag a stillborn Holstein calf back behind a barn and leave it. The day heated up something fierce, and we dipped down into a riffling pool of a clay-sided stream to ablute ourselves. The water was cold, but the sun and the air hot, and Goodall pulled big gobs of red clay from the banks and painted his whole self up like a natural-born Indian. I then did the same. Paradise. We basked on the hot sand bank of fool's gold and let the sun bake the clay that clung dry to our faces, arms, and torsos. We slept, encased in the hot and brittle carapace, and Goodall himself barely opened his mouth to ask, Feel the toxins being pulled out? Yeah, I guess so, through my barely open pie hole. Our clay encased bodies baked in the late afternoon sun and I'll be jiggered if my psychic and corporeal wounds and bruises began to exit from the very pores of my skin. A water snake slid by on the current, jerked its head in our direction and dove under. Didn't expect to see such red effigies laying upon the bank of crushed fool's gold. I reckon after an hour or two could have been three or four or five or six of baking and dozing we rolled off the bank and into the stream and grabbed gobs of sand from the bottom to scrub the clay carapace off our bodies. Almost brand new men all gussied up with nowhere to go. Clean, mean, fighting machines. Our wounds, psychic and otherwise, temporarily assuaged, left us naked and free and strong and indomitable. This is a good spot and the sun is hot. Could doze forever in this pastoral paradise, decided to give our duds a wash and lay them on the bank to dry while we continued to fry. We took some more sand from the bottom and scrubbed it over our wool uniforms and cotton underclothes. Scrubbed and scrubbed at the old fear, sweat and the old dried blood. Used the length of sycamore to twirl the duds in and out of the pool. Beat the molasses out of the duds with the stick, too. Beat the living tar out of them letting loose all of the demons and the devils and the killings and the killed into the riffling slipstream of the roiling water, clayed up again, slathered up our destroyed nerves and lay in the sun for another stretch of time. Lord have mercy, it was hot, and in the middle of November, Turn the duds in my day if we couldn't see steam coming off the woolen uniforms and Goodall said when we get to the city we're going to get some new duds and go out on the town and style with a smile, dozed delightfully. As before, bad things left us, terrified screams and bellows and pains and fears just up and slunk out of our bodies and brains as the red clay... Worked its magical extraction. Around four, I guess, our duds were bone dry and our clay cracked shells were also dry. So we waded back into the deepest pool and scrubbed the clay off with the gritty fool's gold. Put our duds back on and recommenced our tromping. What say we stay in that there barn we saw for the evening? We got all the time in the world. I say we continue to take things slow. I think we move so quick because we're afraid of what we'd done. Well, just like Aintree said, we did what we'd done, but we had to. We had to kill, and it was expected of us, and it was our job. There ain't no reason why it has to haunt us, so... What's a day? One day to lounge and loaf. I think it's fine to drink the fine wine of convalescence. That's what we're doing, brother convalescent and by golly we deserve it we have done our jobs we followed orders we sacrificed our own sweet blood i aim to take things real slow until we get to chicago fine by me said goodall let's go check the barn their hay is in army of black flies plied their trade upon the still-born calf we sneak in through the side door and creep past some stalls housing young Holsteins, and hear the voice of the young girl coming our way, so we high tail it up into the hayloft, peer down over the bales and she's feeding an orphaned calf. The rambunctious calf butts his head up against the side wall so the young blonde has to lift the bottle high for him to retain his purchase on the makeshift nipple. Goodall excuses himself to arrange the bales of hay into a golden igloo, and I continue to watch the girl. I know you're up there, she says. Her back is to me and the calf suckles on, so I'm not sure she's talking to... I know you're up there. My mama says I... Just seeing things, but I do see things, and I seen the both of you sneak up into the barn past the dead calf, and I figure right now you must be up there behind me. Ain't no cause for alarm. I seen a bunch of you before. The trouble is, I can't bring you nothing because when I done that before, I got walloped, and I'm done tired of getting walloped, you hear? I reckon you all been walloped too, on account of your hurts. You might have seen my brother Kenny. He's no longer with us, but he hain't made it back here yet, but he probably never will, because he got walloped one too many times. Took his final wallop at Chancellorsville. There now, Pepper's done. Pepper likes to get his ears scratched, but Pepper's also frisky. He's our most frisky calf. Sometimes we get up on him and ride him and see who can stay on top of him the longest, but the record's only four seconds because Pepper's as frisky as all get out. Most of the boys who come here only stay a day or two. I reckon it'll be the same for you. See that closet at the end of the stalls? Well, that's actually a commode, so don't feel like you gotta go outside to make water. Papa installed it because he hates having to hang his thing outside in the dead of winter. Mama says the next thing you know he'll move a sofa in here. See down there, that one stall across from the commode? Papa's got a daybed in there and a little pot-belly stove. He burns blocks of dried manure in the winter time in that. I don't know how long you boys are thinking of staying, but I can leave the root cellar door unclasped should you get a hankering some night to crawl down in there. But that'd be more like crawlin' into a grave now, wouldn't it? Better yet, I could direct you to my absent brother's bedroom. Got two beds in it. Bet you boys hain't slept in a bed for a while. My ma and pa stay away from that room ever since the boys left, so you'd be safe. You gotta be tired of staying in haylofts by now. Well, if you're interested... Ma and Pa go to Wyluson every Sunday for Vespers. They leave after milking about 7 o'clock. You could sneak into the house through the back so no passing wagons see you. We got a big shepherd named Blaze, but he's tied up and back. He won't get you. Go up the back stairway. Take a left around the corner and you'll find my brother's room. Got twin beds facing the windows. If you get in there before 9, you should be fine. If you need to make water during the night, you can hang your thing out the window. As I said, my mom-pa ain't got no truck going in there no more. The emptiness kills them. She stopped directly beneath me. And you can stay as long as you want. I'll not tell nobody that you're here. Then she left the barn. I explained things to Goodall. He was leery, told him I trusted her and what it must feel like to sleep in a bed. At 8 o'clock, I left the barn and followed her directions exactly. The big shepherd growled but did not bark. I went up the back stairway and around the corner of the stair railing and found the vacant room. Just got my eyes adjusted when there was a soft knock at the door. I opened the door and spied a large green candle resting in a glass hurricane lamp on the floor. Picked the candle up, looked down the hall and saw the girl nod as she closed her door. I nodded back my thanks and re-entered the room, blew the candle out soon as I heard her parents' wagon return, slept on top of the quilt, awoke, went to the window and looked out at the stars, went back to bed, took my boots off, took my jacket and pants off and laid them on a chair, pulled back the quilt, the wool blanket, the pristine lavender scented sheets and crept in amongst the covers. I laid my head down on the pillow, worried briefly about Goodall. Plenty of rest for those who are blessed. Sleep. All night through until the cocks crow in the pre-dawn light. I creep back to the barn and Goodall is still sleeping. He wakes when the milking commences. How was your sleep? He asks. Heavenly. Did you remember to make the bed? I did, I did. You missed it, W.R. Best sleep I ever had in my life. Slept so hard. Felt like I was dead. Amber in the dustier, You revealed it Found poetry and meaning there It was gleaming And how much, if I counted up Did I really But sometimes it is hard to find But it's worth it If there's amber we have to claw it out Not the night Malt my page Out the cage On the stage All the rage That was Climbing trees With their song Amber Until next time Peace